Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Please consider supporting Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. They are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hey, this is Trevor from Halifax calling in to say that I support creative control on Patreon because I think long-form arts journalism is a crucial part of music culture and there's simply not enough of it out there today. Vish is a master interviewer, he lands great guests, and he has his finger on the pulse of the ever-changing music landscape both here in Canada and abroad. For all of these reasons and many more, I think you should support creative control on Patreon too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creativecontrol today. I'm Visha's wife, and I will love him no matter what you do. And now he has me on the record saying that. Thurston Moore is a hugely influential American musician and songwriter who originally hails from New York City. Currently based in London, England, Moore is a co-founder of the band Sonic Youth, which towered over underground rock music between 1981 and their final show to date in 2011. For his part, Moore has been rather prolific in his solo pursuits, and 2020 has thus far seen the release of a wondrous new full band effort called By the Fire, which is out now via Daydream Library, an imprint that Moore co-founded. Thurston and I connected recently for a good chat about the work he's been preoccupied with during pandemic-induced isolation, the infinite joy provided by musical discovery, and the great loss we're all experiencing by not seeing unknown opening bands at shows these days, the blurry line between mainstream and underground culture, the 25th anniversary of the album Washing Machine and the ongoing Sonic Youth Live series, future plans, and more. 
a part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control and Massey Hall's concert film series live at masseyhall.com where you can stream dozens of 30-minute films for free, including performances by past podcast guests like Chad Van Galen, plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, this is the 577th episode of Creative Control, featuring the thoughtful and talented Thurston Moore, with your host, me, Vishkana. Hi, Thurston. How's it going? Going very well. How are you? I'm not bad. I'm not bad. First of all, where in the world are you? I am in London, in the United Kingdom. <laughs> How are things going? <laughs> things, uh, thanks for being specific. I like that. I like uh, geographic <laughs> lessons. Uh, <laughs> how are things going there? Well, you know, they're just separating the island from the rest of the European Union. So if people are kind of shaky and falling over each other. Uh, it's going all right. I mean, you know, like everybody else in the world, it's just like a big question mark about like, you know, what the days are sort of transpiring into. I've been here uh, sequestered in my flat since March and just, you know, I've been working a yeah. lot, you know, yeah. putting this record out and I've been writing a lot and, um, you know, I had a tour this summer that was sort of obviously not happening, you know, which has been a bit of a, a, a drag. Not only for me, but for most musicians who sort of are dependent on touring for like you know any modicum of revenue mm-hmm. um, in mm-hmm. their in their world. Uh, so that's been kind of that's been a big change um, professionally. But it's it's allowed me to sort of stay in one place, which I've always sort of desired to have, um, but maybe not in this context. But I uh, I've been taking advantage of it, just really hunkering down and and writing a lot, uh, like a really large. Uh, manuscript about music that I've been wanting to do for ages, for years. Oh, so, um, like a book or been, like a book or something? It could be a book. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, the the manuscript title is Sonic Life, and I just sort of been writing about you know what it is that sort of defines um, someone to dedicate themselves to the vocation of of uh, being a musician. Um, and so, through a personal lens, I, uh, I I write about just you know what it what the documents were in the 1970s when I was a teenager. Uh, um, I, I turned 20 in 1978. So um, happy birthday. Around, oh, thank you. <laughs> sorry. It's so, sorry. It's so late. I was only one years old when you turned 20, but still. <laughs> well, I was a July baby, you know, oh, so okay. yeah, my, my birthday this year was definitely a quarantine birthday. Yeah. Um, no, it was just sort of, I was just really wanting to kind of essay about the, the signifiers, you know, and they talking about like when a lot of these things, when you're at that age, when you're coming of age, when you're in your late teens, getting into your early twenties, that sort of um, uh, influence and inform you and intrigue you into kind of what you want to do with your, 
your your life uh, if you're so lucky to have such things happen to you. Hmm. I wanted to write about what that meant. And so talking about through the lens of music, like in 1974, say, like um, when you when you send away and receive like that first seven inch uh, that Patti Smith made uh, independently in New York City, um, you know, and you knew her as just a rock writer. And like, what is it? What is this? record this rock writer made hmm. you know before she before she became um uh, such big news outside of new york hmm. and you know and being a, being like 17 years old and sort of receiving such an item in the mail and sort of what that meant you know because it was rather it was rather catalytic to to come across something like that yeah and so i wanted to write at length about the nature of that and how it kind of not only influences you and defines a lot of your own aesthetic but the culture as well um that you're interested in because the music culture at that time was so grandiose with rock and roll being kind of a a a a medium that extolled the virtues of wealth you know and like even in glam rock you know with bowie and everybody it was all about the uh, the champagne and the furs and the and the limousines and the decadence. You know, yeah. Yeah. The decadence, the decadence, the, the Led Zeppelin and their private jet and all these kind of things. Yeah. And so to hear a record that was so, so, so minimal and so raw and it sounded like it was recorded that afternoon, you know, like, you know, like in an hour and, but it had it's such magic and beauty to it. You know, it was like, there was no frills. It was just a, the black seven inch and a white sleeve that had her name scrawled across on the top and you sent away for it through the mail. And, and there it was, and it was just this kind of this amazing record of this recitation of poetry that led into like a, a, a version of Hey Joe. And, um, and there's all these other aspects going on around this record. And you knew that it was connected to this community of other people in New York city, such as, Lenny Kay, who actually produced the record, and Tom Verlaine, who's actually playing a scratchy guitar on the record. You know about him because he's in a band called Television, who have yet to make a record, but they were written about by her in a magazine called Rock Scene, and they all have like really short, chopped hair, and nobody in rock and roll has short hair. Uh, so all these things are kind of like you talk. I want to talk about these things, you well, know, and, and, and yeah. I can, yeah, so, I can see that. I mean, first of all, let me say uh, I love Patti Smith uh, a lot. And I've told the story a few times. I got to interview her in 2007, I want to say. And mm-hmm. it's one of those things where the label is like, you got 20 minutes with Patti Smith. You know what? Now you got 15. Now you got 10. It was one of those things, you know? But she, right. So I got on her. We finally got the call connected. And I had the 10 minutes. And the guy, the publicist, jumped in. You know, they're listening in. It's like the call's bugged. And they said, yeah. they said, uh, okay, you got to wrap this up. And Patty said, uh, I really, I respect, I, I really appreciate the respect you're showing me with these questions. They've got me running around here. Give me your phone number and I'll call you later when I'm done all this stuff so I can give you more time. And I was like, what the hell? Like no one does, <laughs> no one does that. So she no, totally, no. she hours later, we bonded because we were both really sick at the time. Ironically, as I'm, as we're speaking right now. Not that you and I are sick. We're fine. Are you okay? You all right? You all right there? <laughs> I'm good. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So she called I'm me, here. called me at my house like hours later and gave me like an hour. And it was one of the most beautiful things. You know, it really felt grounded and real. And that's wow. what I think about her. And, you know, it's what, it's as you know, you and I have spoken many times now. Like it's what drew me to you as well. Yeah. That authenticity. So 
that was the first thing I wanted to, wanted to say. Secondly, in revisiting this time in the mid-70s for you as a young person, what is this telling you about this moment now? Uh, and and right. how far away are you today uh, from that feeling of discovery and of joy with music? Can you Can you elaborate upon that? Well, a lot of it has to do with appreciating the the actual fact that I am still engaged with discovery and being excited excited by discovery um, and in any discipline in creative impulse discipline you know be it music or visual art cinema yeah what have you yeah. and so that to me is never that's never really that's not something that that has um, intrinsically uh, abetted at all possibly the dynamic of it has changed in fact it really has changed there's been quite a few paradigm shifts and in 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 processing music and I, and I in some real way it's like talking about actual records and listening to records and how they the the effect they have at at a young age I don't feel like that is something experiential in in my my life so much anymore and when I talk about records as these vibrational objects that mean so much in the context of like music that is primarily heard through uh, the digital realm Yeah, um, to actually sort of uh, be able to touch and smell. I find that the, those are the primary factors I'm, I'm most uh, responsive to now, uh, as opposed to actually listening to the record. <laughs> so the listening, the listening experience has become secondary, if not tertiary to, to what I'm, I, I get from, music itself it's like I'm, I'm kind of like i'm more tuned to the to just like the tactile gift item and like the tangible was, the tangible object you mean yes because you know i, I was I, I talked to some young musicians they always ask me about ways of getting people to hear their music and i said well you you're lucky i mean you 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 have these two realms you have this digital realm and you have this physical realm that you can sort of work in and that's a that's a you know pretty new thing in the last couple of decades, last couple of decades. But, uh, you know, they have equal value and to the point where if you could just use your own coin to make something without this idea of like making money back, but to actually sort of create something that is uh, a, a, an exchange, a physical exchange that you could sort of hand off to somebody and give them your, your cassette or your CD or your record or your fanzine or that's something you can't replicate at all in the digital realm. You can't download a record. You can download the content and the music and the, and the, the numerical information of that music is, can come to you and you can sort of hear, process it thus. But you can't download a record. You can't roll a joint on a, on a digital download. <laughs> I'm, I'm, so. sure, I'm sure someone can. I'm sure someone has figured out a way to do that. Uh, absolutely by this point. I am ordering records a lot and they're coming to my house, uh, but I haven't seen live music since around since March of 2020. And I've been telling people that I've been relatively okay with that when people, cause I am a show goer. I like to go and see shows once, twice a week, whatever I can, uh, raising a family, working, going to shows. However, I've said up until recently, I've been saying, yeah, I'm actually okay with it. I don't miss it. But now it's dawning on me that some of the stuff, like I'm thinking about some of my guests on my show. And a lot of that has been the result of discovering them live. Uh, getting behind something and like that, that kind of discovery, you, you mentioned ordering a seven inch and it's showing up and it's feeling like discovery, but I'm at, and you also said, you know, like a lot of musicians who'd rely on 
that is an, uh, live music is a form of income. That's one thing, but I actually think the exposure of seeing an opening band or what have you, like many of my favorite bands now, I, now that I think about it, I saw opening for someone else. And now, you yes. Know, so that is starting to hit me. Like beyond mm. the experience of seeing you play, it's seeing whoever opens for you. You know, whoever. Seeing something, yeah. Yeah. Seeing something unexpected. So that's really getting to me now that I realized it last week. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Like, I pride myself on, you know, yeah. seeing bands and figuring out, you know, what they mean to me. And then, and, and that's, that whole dynamic is currently yeah. gone. That's so, interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Because it is that, it is that unexpected, um, uh, experience that um, is so rewarding. And uh, when I go out and hear music, um, when I was going out to hear music before we got clamped down, yeah, it was you know it was always pretty primarily to go hear uh, free improvisation music. Yeah, yeah. and because especially here in London where there's a, such a great history and lineage of of like free improvisation as a you know as a singular vocation for so many musicians like they dedicate their musical lives to being free improvisers yeah Yeah. and so i love going to hear these kind of concerts because even if i'm very familiar with the musicians themselves what is going to happen at these concerts will always be uh, rather unexpected and i glean so much of that as far as like language and vocabulary yeah. uh, and, and, and watching the musicians play. I completely miss that. And you're right about, I mean, just like when you go see a band play and there's somebody else in the bill who just kind of like knocks you out of your seat. There's nothing. That's so great. Yeah. yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and those experiences can be, few uh and far but they can also happen quite regularly no matter how much how much you go out i mean case in point we um my partner my girlfriend eva and i who do we do book publishing and mm-hmm. um we recently released a record by uh, a local uh group here called big joni yeah um yeah yeah well that came about because we went to see the X, you know, the anarcho punk band from Holland, uh, who've been around since like '89. I love them. And, I've seen yeah, them. Really seen, old, I've seen them many times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love. Yeah, the yeah, X. Really is, old friend. Yeah, the X are fantastic. Really yeah. old friends of mine, and they were in London. And I was like, "Well, let's go see the X." You know, it was nearby, and it was at this venue. We went, and the support group was Big Joni. And we just stood there and were like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. You yeah, know, what yeah. a great band. Went up to them afterwards and said, do you have any merch? They had nothing. And then they were like, well, you you guys should record a record. It's like, well, we did, um, but we haven't f- found a way to put it out yet. It's expensive and blah, blah. And the next thing I knew is like we had started a record label to put their record out. Uh, and we did. And, you know, and uh, so that – yeah, case in point. I mean, it's you know, it's the, the lifeblood. Like, yeah, it, yeah, it's it's what keeps us all as we get older. <laughs> it, yeah. it is really what keeps us inspired is seeing someone mm. new or younger blow you away. And so, yeah, if, and everything that we get virtually is sort of mediated in some way. Like if you go see a band, that's it. There's no bullshit. Right. There's no no one's telling you to like. I mean, I, I arguably. The booker or the headliner has chosen this person or the, right. this entity, but but at the same time, yeah, it really fuels me to keep going and keep 
loving music and there's always something there's always something new and interesting and and i'm yeah i i think i've said it really is it's really weird to not have that now yeah yeah well i mean you know in the in the in the record world i mean it's 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 kind of cool to see so many young labels like new when i say young labels like new labels in the last the last 10 years uh come up where the intention of these labels is to uncover unreleased recordings or recordings that are just completely lost to time from different parts of the world. Yeah. And so there was yeah. this, there was this whole uh, interest in finding like Zam- Zambian, you know, like fuzz rock records, <laughs> you know, from, from Zambia from yeah. the early seventies, yeah. you know, like, like even in the seventies going into the eighties, when we were like all like doing whatever we were doing, nobody knew that there was like this kind of like, like hardcore, like black Sabbath influenced mixed with James Brown, like fuzz rock scene happening in Zambia and Africa, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but there was, and they were making records and they never really got beyond the borders and then all these years later, somebody sort of comes across some of these documents and they're just like, wow, this is incredible. And, and then it unleashes all these other lost recordings from that time period. And so you have these box sets of this, of this music by these like disparate bands from this era. Who knew? And like, so those kind of things happen are happening all the time. So yeah, people are putting true. out like, you know, here's some, you know, late sixties, you know, a psychedelic Serbian band. <laughs> You know, you know, it's like, what? It's like, I mean, think, you know, it's like, what a service that some like, that some young entrepreneurs are putting these like, these weirdo records out that sound really cool on their own dime, you know? There's, and, there's so many imprints that do this, but are you, are you kind of referring to things like Light in the Attic or Numero Group? Sure. Or, oh, yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it I is. Mean, those, are the, those are the most high-profile high labels, but there's quite a few yeah. labels all over Europe that, are, that have been doing this. There's a label called Cacophonic yeah. uh, you know, that, that have been like releasing and re- reissues and just sort of like uh, – recordings that just never saw the light of day well this impulse you have for discovery i assume it holds you in good stead as you enter you know i think there's the biographical information suggests uh, why am i saying this i know this sonic youth started in what 1980 or something like that yes so you start right yeah 40 years of music making for you you clearly based on this excellent new record by the fire and all the work you do, uh, writing, teaching, all these things, you are clearly uh, spurred on by this impulse for discovery and and to be inspired and to spread the word about things. I know you've probably talked about this many times. Do you have a sense of where that impulse comes from? Was it ordering that seven inch and realizing, holy shit, here's the <laughs> shit that no one talks about that I, you know, I, I have, a, I, I remember this distinctly, like just discovering punk for me was like, wait a minute, everything I've been reading up until this, you know, hasn't been telling me about this whole universe. And so I feel like when we talk about numero group, light in the attic, these kinds of labels and your own work and, and, you know, working with big Joni and all the stuff you do, mm. you've got that in you. Do you know where it kind of comes from? Well, certainly predated buying the Patti Smith 7-inch. I mean, I, I, I recall wanting to know what these images I would see in the furthest margins of, of, of rock magazines uh, sounded like. So when I saw, you know, early on in the 1970 or 69, 1970, being a kid and like being attracted to 
uh, music literature, just sort of counterculture literature. You know, I would buy like, God, I would buy like Hot Rod magazine just because of just like the architecture of these hot rods was so rock and roll. And I was just like, wow, this is loud and noisy. And I would love to hear what this sounds like or just like to, you know, just be near one of these things. There was something really cool about that. But, you know, I'm, I'm not like a, 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 a car aficionado at all. You know, I just sort of bought them because of the aesthetic and the energy. And so the energy of a lot of the rock magazines was really compelling. And, and so to look at, images of somebody like Captain Beefheart with his top hat and his goatee uh, uh, or, or that first image you see of Iggy Pop standing on the hands of the audience, spray painted silver. And you're just like, who is that? And what does that sound like? And it, you know, it's, these are subversive in it, images because I don't think anybody else is looking at that around me thinking the same thing. They're looking at, Paul McCartney, or they're mm-hmm. looking, you know, you know, they're looking at these kind of these uh, these other heroic icon- iconography. I'm more interested in these kind of these this this uh, these oddities. What leads me into that? I don't know because I'm living in a fairly safe domestic situation. Um, yeah, it's not like it's not like I'm looking for perversity. Yeah, but I'm I'm very attracted to the perverse, and um, it might be. I mean, my father was a a music professor in a in a psychology not psychology he was he's more of a philosophy uh, professor you know and and so there was we had a lot of art and music around our house maybe that's sort of what informed me to want to go deeper than just sort of the what was happening in the in the mainstream i mean to maintain that impulse though is fascinating yeah. because as you get older sometimes you can see the beauty in Paul McCartney eventually. You know, you might have reject, rejected it at one point, but you, as you get older, that's I don't know why that is. You just sort of like, you know what? I don't know. I was kind of reactionary, but now that I think about it, like clearly some of these people were, <laughs> were pretty good at what they were doing. Obviously, you know, like. But I never had, you know, to me. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, like, there's always sort of anti-main. I just think like, that anti-mainstream impulse can sometimes emerge from feeling like the mainstream was leading you astray or not giving you the the big picture. And then when you kind of dig deeper, when you come out the other side, you can kind of see how the two things can coexist in your psyche. If that makes any sense. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there might've been an early um, uh, feeling that maybe the mainstream had, it it was a bit of a system of of control over what was being proffered in the culture. But I think at that age, no, I mean, I certainly didn't have that kind of analysis, you know, and and I didn't really feel any animosity towards any anything in the mainstream until the language of punk rock started coming out and saying, like, well, we don't need the mainstream. And we also don't feel like we need to sort of um, have such a hierarchical um, distance from the audience and from the listenership. In fact, you know, so when you had people like Joe Strummer saying, you know, we 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 are the audience and we're just jumping on stage and and that's a, that's the exchange it's really cyclical mm-hmm. and we're sort of and it's like there's an equal value between what we do and how the audience is expressing themselves that really rang deep mm-hmm. and so that was quite different than the the rock god of Robert Plant or you know whoever and so it was this idea of just creating a a, a cultural division you know in time from punk rock onwards and it was 
kind of curious. I always remember <clears throat> going back to my mother's house around 1979, and when I would go visit my mother quite often. But I, you know, I, I there was one point where I went down into the basement of her house in rural Connecticut, an hour and a half away outside of Manhattan, where I had been living. Mm-hmm. And I was just 20 years old, and I went down her basement, and there was a there was a Peaches record store crate full of record albums that I had had before 77, 76, 77. Yeah. And it was Led Zeppelin and Iron Butterfly and Almond Brothers Band and Peter Frampton, Jay Giles Band, you name it. There was just a bunch of records in there and they were kind of moldy. And I stood for a second looking at them and I it sent a bit of a shiver through me because I realized at that moment that I had completely eradicated them from my consciousness. I had forgotten about them. They were actually moldy dinosaurs sitting in the basement. And I remember looking at the, the kind of hoary aspect of them and just thinking like, wow, that was, that was another, that was just a completely another time and space, you know, in, 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 in the world for me. And what was it? like two years prior, it wasn't that long ago, but it was, but so much had happened in, in a bit of a revolution culturally in, in the scene for me that all the, and this plethora of documents had come through for the last couple of years, just pushing things in different ways, all this, all this new language. Um, And a lot of it was about like, stepping away from this previous culture of, of, of music yeah. that um, I just, I remember looking at that. And then years later, when a band like black flag started referencing pre 76 punk and taking on deep purple and black Sabbath you know, <laughs> and bringing this kind of vibe into their music and growing their hair out, you know, like they weren't like punk rock skinhead kind of boys and they started growing their hair out and like talking about um, music that was kind of off limits and reintroducing it and reappreciating it. And that, that was, I remember being really excited by this. Like, Oh great. I can go, I can go reappraise Jojo gun now or something. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, that, and that, and that became more prevalent through the eighties into the nineties where it's like, it was like, there was this reappraisal of this connectivity between punk culture and, 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 and sixties radicalism. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it was you know, in a way the early seventies kind of leapfrogged over the sixties when with glam rock and Bowie and Mark, Mark Bolin and T-Rex and this is kind of putting on this kind of, you know, a lot of their music was sort of like this kind of fifties kind of purist rock and roll uh, kind of action that they would kind of glam up, you know, with like Mm. these kind of, you know, um, and it was really trying to divorce itself from the, the hippie country rural embracing Crosby, Stills and Nash and Young on the rickety porch and the James Taylor and the boat with the dog, you know, and the paddle (laughs) on the country. It was like, so glam was not that glam was all about like, no, 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 we're like in supersonic jets and we come out of this, you know, this, the ideas of, of, of the fifties, you know, vision of the future, you know, Um, that was always curious to me. And then all, and then into the eighties, it was like, no, let's re let's reappraise the profundity of the sixties. 
it, that that was big. And I think it really actually sort of was like the, a big paradigm shift for a lot of what was radical about punk rock was was that letting down that guard right then. Let me let me propose a theory about this uh, and tell me what you make of it. What if you reject because when you're rejecting like older music or the decadent music, you like uh, it depends on the time you're rejecting it, of course. But you're kind of rejecting a time, uh, an era almost, and it might be your parents' era, if if you will, like the music your parents might have liked. That can be, or your older. In my case, it was my older cousins, and that can be foundational. And so you mm. you kind of get into it, and then you kind of reject it, like you're rejecting a part of yourself, uh, mm. which is your your parents. And then as you get older, I think some of us start to relate a bit more to our parents, and then mm. their stuff, whatever they liked, it, you develop a weird affection for it. So when you talk about Black Flag coming out, hardcore punk band, then sort of seeing the orthodoxy going on and people saying, oh, you can't have long hair, you can't do this, you can't do that. They kind of start to be like, well, no, then the real punk rock thing is to grow your hair out and be mm-hmm. like those guys, the, the metal, the you know Led Zeppelin, whatever. There's, is there something going on there where you're, because I'm asking you this too, because you seem to be in working on your manuscript, which sounds almost like it could be a memoir. <laughs> <laughs> you're reflecting upon all of this a, a little bit, like where you came yeah, from. Yeah. So do you think there's something that you reject something that's, that seems old and, and not cool. And then you realize, well, actually it all feeds into everything. We're all kind of feeding mm-hmm. constantly cyclically feeding into each other and our expression. Does that make any sense? Certainly when you get older um, and you realize the world isn't just sort of this kind of insular cu- community that you've sort of like um, aligned yourself with. It makes sense. I, you know, I remember going to see black flag when they started doing these moves and growing their hair out. And right then, like they played a gig in New York and all the bald head kids were there. Yeah. And Henry wasn't bald anymore. He had hair down to his shoulders. He looked like Jesus Christ. <laughs> and, uh, and these kids were yelling, you know, cut your hair, cut yeah. your, you know, like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and Henry just sort of stood there and I always remember him. He was, had nothing on, but his, his, sweat shorts and he he reached down and pulled little henry out and said i'll grow my hair <laughs> he said i'll grow my hair down to here before i satisfy you um right that to me that to me <laughs> that to me kind of like it, it quite it shut everybody up this is like it's just, he was saying i'm autonomous and it's like the the one aspect of where we come from as uh as 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 a music culture is that recognition of autonomy yeah know, but that we, that we, but th- those those signifiers of time and fashion as you and I are speaking in October of 2020 aren't they all gone you can have a shaved head <laughs> you can have long hair it doesn't really come yes. out anything like it doesn't yes. everyone made a big yes. fuss about those kids who sounded like Led Zeppelin a, a year or two ago and yeah, they were aping that fashion. Like it was like your high school smoking section came to life and made a show, made a band mm-hmm. or something. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but if I saw, if I saw that person walking down the street beside a punk, beside a metal kid, beside a hip hop kid, it all kind of just makes sense to me now. It's like we don't have yeah. that orthodoxy anymore. Would you agree? No, I, I do agree. Yeah. And you know, a lot of it, you know, to answer your, 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 
your question just before about the idea of rejection towards the identity of, your, of what your parents represented. A lot of it wasn't so much rejection. It was just about actually, for me, was this idea of, of just creating an identity that was in more rejection to following what had gone before, like just not, not wanting to be not so much what your parents were, but what your, what your older siblings were. Yeah. You know, it was just like, so that was really what was so defining about that time was this like, cause people of my age coming of age in the late seventies embracing that identity. And it wasn't, it's, and it was a minority. I mean, we were a minority in a way we were a loud minority. Um, and it became very sort of, you know, when Johnny Carson would make jokes about the, the sex pistols as when they were touring across the USA and in 78, mm-hmm. that was really jarring because it's like any mention of punk rock culture on TV was at that time did not exist. And here was this band that was really, you know, they barely got mentioned in Rolling Stone. Yeah. And here they were overseas and they were playing to to these audiences that would be people like us, but it was like, it got hyped and it got hyped in the mainstream just by being, uh, coming out of Johnny Carson's mouth at the time. It's like, that's, you know, making fun of the names like Johnny Rotten. It's yeah, vicious. Right, very right. easy to, very yeah. easy to make jokes about, yeah. you know, and kind of like have the audience laugh along with like these silly kids, you know, like hmm. with these names, but you know, people came out to see what all the, what all the hoopla was. And it was just, you know, it was, it was a, it was a disaster. And so, uh, unfortunately it was a disaster. Yeah. You know, it's too, it's too bad because you know, the, the truth of the matter is in, amongst all of the hype that was presented was a document. And that document was their album, their one and only Never Mind the box album, which is to this day, an impeccable record of just, a, it's magnificent. You know, it's yeah. like the songwriting, the execution, the, the performance, the the whole design of it, everything about it is like it's one of the few really impeccable recordings that are in the lineage of, of rock and roll music. And so that alone will always be its mainstay, regardless of any of the other situations around that band. It's like they created something that was like as profound as that. So, it, yeah. Some, I mean, some pretty to- prototypical trolling there too that whole band and the way it was designed like all the stunts and the cursing and the you know yeah. everything about it was when i think about it now and you know now more recently uh you know johnny rotten walking around in a make america great again shirt for some <laughs> was really jarring but for some of us like no this is like one of the earliest contemporary trolls johnny rotten yeah constantly oh, yeah. provoking you to be angry or take the contrary in view that's right. trolling. And he kind of, they kind of were McLaren, all of them. They kind of seem to be about that. So yeah, it's weird. Like we were kind of yeah. manipulated, but anyway, that's a whole other conversation. We don't have a lot of time. I just, uh, yeah. <laughs> I just, give I, me your number. Give me your number. <laughs> he'll call me later. I do. <laughs> we're talking a little bit about identities and I know that some people are, when they hear by the fire, uh, this, this new record by you and your band, they're they're seeing this duality of oh Thurston's letting his you know improvisational freaky side intermingle more with his pop hooks kind of side. What do you make of these characterizations, and how would you characterize the music on this record? Well, I think 
I never really sort of th- thought about it being so explicit on this record where my interest in free improvisation was coming into some kind of hybrid notion of composition. I think that's something that's happened quite a bit in the past. And so I never thought of that as being anything new. Uh, so I didn't, I, I don't think that was certainly that wasn't um, part of the making of this record. I, in fact, I think there's probably less examples of free improvisation on this recording than um, previous recordings. I don't think we really sort of jam out so much. There's some long pieces of music on it, yeah, but they're completely composed. There, there's compositions. In fact, I don't think there's one piece on this double album that is employing improvisation. But that said, I glean a lot of musical ideas from improvisation. And of course, yeah. songwriting for me is usually comes out of a place of improvisation um, of my own. Uh, Just when I sit down on a couch with a guitar and I'm just improvising and then I hear things and then sometimes I will coalesce into like a song concept. Well, when people hear, when people hear or see track listings where songs are, you know, longer than usual, I think they're picking up on the freedom that you're, you're obviously like these songs exemplify how free you feel to do whatever you want. And I think within that, people will connect that to your, your, your penchant for improvisation. But to your point, it's, I think it's free. It feels very free <laughs> and, and right. free of pop convention yet, you know, choruses, hooks, it's stuff you've been doing for many years. I know that, but I've just been reading some stuff about what people make of it. And I, I've also right. been reading your thoughts about some of the songs and, and how they relate to freedom. So maybe improvisation is, I sometimes interchange improv with freedom uh, because I think they're very deeply connected. Yeah, yeah. So, well, it's interesting because there is a freedom right now that I find there's a balance between the freedom that we have with technology where music can exist through um, the internet now where there is no, there's no, there's no strictures. Yeah. There's no restrictions, you know. And I was talking to one of the musicians on this record is John Lydecker, who uh, is involved with Negative uh, Land. And um, he, he records in the name Wobbly. And he plays some electronics on this record. And, he's, it, and uh, you know, he's very engaged with a lot of composers who do a lot of long-form drone composition, pieces that can go from, you know, uh, from one hour to like, you know, a hundred hours if they want it to be. And so it's like, like, and thinking about how these pieces now can exist on the internet for anybody who cares to investigate or listen to this music, they can. And the composer is now free to have this music exist without the restrictions of, of, of the format uh, imposed by, Vinyl records or what have you. By vinyl records, what have you. Yeah. The CDs, what have you. Yeah. And to me, it's like, that's a balance because it's like, I like that idea, but I also, I also do like definition and, re- and I do like the, I do like the strictures of, of a record. I just, I like the idea that you can fit 17 minutes comfortably on the side of a record yeah. and you can, and you work within that context, you work within that forum and that defines a lot of how you actually compose and to be, to have all shackles off and to think like, well, I can just, I can just play until my heart's content is a little, I also find it slightly self-indulgent and, 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 a, and a bit irresponsible. And so when I, I actually recorded, I put a rec, a triple CD 
set out last year yeah. of, of basically just three pieces because they could only fit on CDs. But I really worked on them as compositions. I was like, I did, and I felt like I want to make a long form composition, but I don't want to, I don't want to have ever have it be where I'm spinning wheels or I'm just sort of droning out or just taking up time with sound, Mm. you know, for the sake of doing so. I really wanted every moment to actually have a, a logical connection to the moments before and after. And so it would be this musical escapade. And that was really important. And so when I recorded those pieces, I knew that they would be, you're asking a listener to sort of to to settle down for 60 minutes and in this day and age that's very difficult but i i did it anyway just as an exercise because the format of the cd allowed me to and um Mm -hmm. so i kind of was telling people afterwards it's like well the next project i'd like to do is a 24-hour composition in in a sense where it's like it's really like a composition that that moves through 24 hours from 12 midnight to the next 12 midnight. Yeah. And it's something I would love to do, but it's not, it's just because it's, it's kind of fun and it's kind of a challenge <laughs> yeah. and it's just like, you know, it's an experience and it's like, you know, this, the, but I like having, you know, being able to serve, you, it's not good to record on an, anything more than a C90 because then you're, you're, you know, you're, 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 uh, sound quality will suffer and yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the tape can break. I like having these, these things be, be the, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the boundaries to work within. I have no problem with that. So in that respect, I, when I was making by the fire, I was thinking really about how music could be sequenced on an, on two albums in, in a way that sounded like um, a, a concise statement of, of purpose and intention. Two albums? You know, and a, 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 yeah. Well, two, there's two, it's a double album. Right. Oh, I see what you're saying. So two, it, it's a single, it's a single CD, but right. I always, I'm, I'm thinking in, I'm thinking in side breaks. Right, right, right. Okay. And, and to think in side breaks, it allowed me to sort of like, okay, this, this is a 12 minute piece. This is almost a whole side, but if I have this four minute piece, it, 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 it's sort of like, it, it's like almost like, it's creating a, a collage of, of sorts, but with with a with a narrative intention. And so I, um, that all came into play when I was like putting this record together. And I think it probably would have come into play quite differently if I just sort of said, "Oh, I don't I don't care how it exists, and it can just like be as long as it wants to be, and yeah. things can just stretch out." I, you know, I'm a great enthusiast of economy. You know, you know, it's like. The Minutemen were one thing, you know, but just the economy of just of punk rock tunage is something I, I always want to sort of um, pay tribute to. I mean, the first two songs are rather economical. I mean, they're, I think they're, they don't really break the four minute mark too, yeah, yeah, yeah. too much. And that, so I wanted those to exist and I wanted to have this, this story go into starting out with these kind of joyful sonic nuggets and going into this more contemplative uh, uh, pieces of music that I solely played and then going into these darker, longer experimental uh, uh, guitar pieces into this last piece of music that was just all instrumental and was this kind of this extra, this kind of exercise in investigating the, the properties of the guitar tuning we were working with, with this 12 string Yeah, and hearing it as it slowly shifted and expanded into this, amorphous sound and then sort of went into this kind of melodious sort of cloud and just sort of dispersed at the end and with some sense of 
some sense of hope and some sense of like glory, you know. And so mm-hmm. it, was like, it was kind of an emotional statement uh, I was making, and 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 I wanted it to be political, you know. I wanted it to sort of like to go out there as a record of kind of intelligent noise, where there's so much kind of like inane noise in 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 the in the chatter sphere yeah. that we kind yeah. of have been living in for so and for too long. Yeah, you know. So it's like. It's and I I found that to be as a social engagement entirely political. So well, it feels pointed and yeah. and artful. And as it's come out, to be honest, I've been uh, uh, as we're speaking, uh, the Sonic Youth album "Washing Machine" just celebrated mm-hmm. a twenty fifth anniversary. And I don't right. know this really. So I spent a good day or so just re- revisiting "Washing Machine," which, uh, much to the chagrin of some Sonic Youth fans that I know, I'll say, well, that's I think that's my favorite, and they'll say, what? What are you nuts? <laughs> what about you know Daydream Nation yeah, yeah. and Evolve? It's just I'm like yeah I know I know I just it means a lot to me and and this I'm, they're not similar but it brought me back to it uh, your record by the fire a little bit it brought me back oh, to that era and that era I think that was a significant time for the band uh, mm-hmm. from '95 on and uh, oh yeah very much so very yeah, much so yeah yeah there's a lot of interesting exploration in terms of what we're yeah. talking about pop stretching things out you know letting things breathe and freedom. Well, they were- and there were decisions that were made at a time when we had such a profile where it was, I think the encouragement was to be more streamlined and to maybe follow the signals that were you yeah. were hearing on an alternative rock radio, yeah. which was what stone temple pilots and such. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just wasn't going to happen. In fact, it was actually reactionary to that yeah. to some degree. And, and so it's been interesting to sort of see that in retrospect yeah, and um, and I your live the Sonic Youth live series is seems to be a going concern. How involved are you in all that stuff? Not so much. I mean, Steve Shelley has been really administering it uh, yeah. mostly, yeah. and he's been sort of keeping the rest of the of the group in his um, his discoveries of, of, of everything. <laughs> that's what he's that's what he's really been doing this whole summer. You know, we've all been doing different things, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, coming out of that band. Uh, but that's what he's been doing hmm. and it's been incredible. Like he's been just sort of uncovering the different documents and listening through to them and to see which ones he thinks have, uh, you know, an, enough, you know, value to sort of, uh, distribute and he runs it by everybody and we all take a listen. Like, sounds good, Steve, go for it. Let's put it out there. <laughs> put it up on the band so camp he, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. He, I mean, basically he, Steve uh, is the one who created that band camp. Uh, you know, for these things to sort of exist on, and yeah. so he's that's that's been his 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 work. It's always the drummer, uh, always the drummer. I'm a drummer in most of the bands, so we always have to uh-huh. do everything. We have to do everything in the end. You just like, yeah, man. get everything organized. <laughs> it's really interesting. I had something going on with drummers, but uh, all this to say, uh, we we don't have a lot of time left. So I want to uh, ask you, uh, Thurston, to if you want to direct people to more information about you and by the fire. First of all, where would you like to send them on the internet? The record is available through um, our, our site, Daydream Library. Um, and you could also, the, the manufacturer distributor of the record here is Cargo. So uh, Cargo Records okay. is, is good to go to. And in the USA, Forced Exposure will be distributing the record. Okay. Um, so they can find the record there. And you're um, you're on stuff. You're on Instagram and all those things. I'm, yeah, man. I'm a, I'm all out there, man. I, you know, to me, I mean, by the fire to me was all about the technology that we have in, in, uh, for communication, especially at a, at a, 
for a time like this where yeah, yeah. we're being we're being asked not to sort of um, come near each other. Yeah, right? you, you we're know. disconnected and you're connecting. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. To me, this is this is our campfire that we're talking around and passing the talking stick around. You know? I see. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's I was that was the illusion. Okay. No, I think yeah. that makes sense. It's very poetic, actually. Um, if there's a song from this record that we can go out on, play for people right now. Thurston, which one would you pick and why? Um, you know, uh, it, I would I would pick the song called Locomotives. Okay, why why did that come to mind? Because it kind of encapsulates a lot of what I'm really interested in 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 um, in moving towards as in songwriting. Um, taking these these very sort of kind of in, in, intensified sonic guitar moments and having them work in the value of a quote unquote proper song format, yeah, uh, as opposed to just sort of being sort of sound um, escapades, um, and having both those things kind of come into a, 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 a unified place as a, as a piece of music. So that song is sort of where I, I feel is like a leaping off song into what I want to really sort of get into next. Um, crossing borders, have, yeah, crossing yeah, borders. Yeah. We don't see destination foreign and free. We're talking about freedom here, uh, That's right. and I, I appreciate that. By the way, who is Radio Radio? Oh, it says here music by Thurston Moore. Lyrics throughout the record. Lyrics by Radio Radio. Who? What is that? What is that, Thurston? A, a, a poet, filmmaker, artist, a uh, good friend. Um, since I've lived in London, done, done a lot of work uh, work together, and I really got into the idea of collaborating with with a a, a poet as a lyricist. I see. In, um, and in the same way that I would collaborate, say, with the the guitar player or Deb Gouge, the bass player, or whatever. I'm just like this is essentially collaborative action and. Um, I bring in the structure, I bring in the song, and then I have these musicians, musicians playing with me for their skill set. Yeah. And so they create their music. And I thought the idea of working with the lyrics um, in the same way as the, the, the music would, is really cool. In the way that Grateful Dead worked with Robert Hunter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did Dylan, uh, so, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. So yeah. that, Tim, it, it, it's so uh, uh, that's why I've been liking doing it. And I've been loving what Radio has been giving, you know, because it's really sensitive to, um, to just the contemporary uh, emotional life uh, that I feel like we have. And so, um, that's what's going on there. Okay, this all sounds very mysterious. I'm not sure if I totally trust it in this age of weird information, <laughs> but here's Thurston Moore with Locomotives from the excellent new record, By the Fire. Thurston, thank you so much for your time again, and I wish you the best luck with everything yeah, in the future. Yeah, man, I hope we get to meet again.
Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You know, the last time Thurston Moore was on this show... The date was September 13th, 2013, episode 35. And now, now we're at episode 577, and he's back. Took a while, didn't it? It's, it did take <laughs> it took a little while to have him back. and uh, But it was great. Thank you, Thurston Moore, for being on this, the 577th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available on uh, everything, everywhere you get podcasts. If you like what you've heard and uh, you're listening to it on some kind of platform that you use, hit subscribe or follow or whatever. Please stay in tune with the show. And uh, the, it's always updating. There's always new episodes and there's lots of old episodes. And uh, yeah, so whatever you're using right now, whether that's Apple, Google, Spotify, or what have you, uh, please follow, subscribe to the show. Uh, if you can't find an episode that you've heard about, like episode 35 with Thurston Moore, if you heard about an episode and it's not in the podcast feeds, uh, or if you want to learn uh, more about me and sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can also like Creative Control on Facebook or follow the show on Twitter at Vish Creative or follow me directly at vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation uh, to keep this podcast going. Had a nice influx of uh, donors come in. We've lost some too. That's just the way it works with monthly flexible donations but we uh, I, I appreciate all of the donations and uh, six dollars or more gets you uh, access to exclusive audio content uh, which i did not provide in the month of october 2020 because i put out nine episodes of the show and there's only supposed to be four a month so i figured you had enough of me and my guests to hear from but i will begin uh putting up some more exclusive audio content uh, very soon. So go to patreon.com slash creative control to access that stuff and also to support the show financially. Thanks again to live at MasseyHall.com where you can watch beautifully captured concerts by great Canadian artists. Also Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton for their in-kind support for this show. Uh, thanks as always to my uh, friend, my brother from another mother, if you will, Jim Guthrie. He lets me use some music uh, on the show that he made and you can learn more about Jim and the music he makes at jimguthrie.org and finally thank you thank you very much for listening to this episode with Thirst Moore I hope you enjoyed it uh, as I said earlier I hope you will consider following the show however you wish to do that and if not tell your oh, well I mean yeah please do that first of all and then also 
Tell your friends about the show. That helps. Recommend the show. You see those lists where people say, hey, can anybody recommend a podcast? And then I look at them, and then I cry for three hours because no one mentions the show. Well, not no one. Sometimes people mention the show, but still, recommend the show. Like the show. Ah, like me. It's very needy, the end of the show now, nowadays. I don't know why. I'm getting... I'm all, you know, stir-crazy, and I don't see people, and I don't know how people feel about me, and it's really confusing. But I... I'm sure you like me, and I like you, so thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. And thanks for the extra time. Sorry we went late. Uh, That's and I, I really love talking to you. I miss you. I'm glad you're making music. And uh, Same here, man. <laughs> I was just telling our friend Sean that the last time I think I saw you was in Hamilton, Ontario, when you played a little okay. show. And I told you that you were like, I really want Indian food. And I said, oh, yeah. well, my mom... She's 45 <laughs> minutes away, and you seem dead serious. You're like, let's go there oh, now. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's do it. I and mean, I was yeah, like, yeah, uh, a- I got to host this stage. Are you sure you want to? Yeah. You, you wouldn't let it go, and I thought that was funny. So anyway. Well, I mean, maybe maybe if they allow us to cohabitate again and we're in that same situation. Yeah. If you could take me to your mom's for some Indian food. Yeah, I would be happy no. to do it. It's a regret. I should have been like. Fuck this stage. Let's just go. Yeah, yeah. I live. I, think I, so too. I actually moved. I live in Edmonton, Alberta now, so we're further away from my parents, which sucks. But uh, yeah, it's all bad. But anyway, yes. If we're ever in the same spot, and my mom can make you food, yeah, man, definitely happening. <laughs> we'll do an exchange. I, I, what is she like? She's not. Uh, oh, what is she like? I don't know. Just Indian okay. movies and gossip. Do you have any gossip? Okay, I have some gossip. I'll give her some gossip. <laughs> How about Indian movies? <laughs> soap operas, Indian soap operas, <laughs> gossip. That's mostly what she likes. Yeah, and okay, she I'll wants me that. to shave my beard, and maybe you can just cut my hair for me. And there we go. I mean, yeah. we could just we could just do, we could do that. We could do like a beard shaving, like yeah, you know, pre-dinner ritual. Oh yeah, Absolutely. that sounds good. Absolutely, sounds like good times. All right. Well, thanks again, and I'll put this out soon and. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate it. I know, Okay. Talk to you Cheers, soon. Cheers, man. Okay, bye-bye. Okay. Peace. Peace. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.